Good morning. It's a joy to be back with you again this morning. A joy to sing and to fellowship and to praise our God together. So I'm glad that you are a part of this church gathering, uh, this family time together. Family time is always something that uh, I, I crave, uh, I enjoy. I did as a kid, and I definitely do as a parent. Um, but uh, even as Neil mentioned, those special times that we gather around the table, um, I, I, I crave those. I love, well, maybe I just love food, but I do like the atmosphere of the table. My wife and I don't watch tons of live TV. We got rid of it a couple years ago. Um, but we do like watching shows on streaming, and so which means we're a little bit behind on shows. Like when they come out, we're like five years later, we're like, ooh, has anyone watched this? All right, so we're watching Blue Bloods. Has anyone watched this? It's a good show, all right? Uh, if you're famili- not familiar with it, it is based in New York City around a family of cops. If you don't know that, you might recognize that Tom Selleck is one of the main uh, characters with his iconic mustache. Uh, I've been trying to pull that mustache off for years. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. Rusty pulled it off uh, a while uh, whenever he was a youth minister. Man, did you see that thing? You remember that? Cheryl's like, no, not again. <laughs> but the thing is, I've gotten where I really love the show. I like the themes going on with it, but here's my favorite thing. We're, we're not even finished with uh, season one. And so far in every episode, there is a family dinner scene. They gather around the table, and that's where the cool discussions happen, and, and they're even talking to their you know, great-grandkids, actually, and, and part of it, and just having these conversations that are hard, that are difficult, but they're happening around the table. I grew up in a family that we ate around the table most every meal. I remember summertimes, it was every meal because we were home for the summer. We'd go, yeah, we'd have breakfast together. We'd go out into the field to go work. We'd come back at a certain time. The certain time was whenever Days of Our Lives was on TV. I don't know, what, it, coincidence probably, but we would eat lunch together, sometimes watching that kind of in the corner of our eye, and then we would go back to the field and then come back for dinner and have dinner to, uh, together. The only exceptions to this was whenever we were at school. And I remember that's just how it, how it was. Very rarely did we not have dinner together, and I realized that that is a dying thing. It is not as normal for the, to have the family table as it used to be. And not just in frequency, in time spent. Get this, 60 years ago, the average supper dinner time, 90 minutes. Some of you are like, we don't have 90 minutes. You know what the average meal time is now? 12. Now, my wife and I got to laughing at that. We're like, seriously, like 12 minutes? And then we were, I was telling her this on, on a, I think it was a Thursday. Thursdays, we have soccer practice <laughs> at 5.30, I'm coach, so I need to be there about 5.15, and literally, we were eating in 15 minutes, and I was like, oh, we are part of the problem. <laughs> we are part of the stat of doing this. But the thing is, sometimes people say, man, I just don't have time. I don't, my schedule doesn't allow this. Maybe the better question that we ought to be asking ourselves is, why have our priorities shifted away from this? What is it that has been so important in our lives that we have shifted away from a thing called the table? Because the table all throughout society has been one of the strongest bringer-togethers that there is. There's something about the table. And it's not just the family table that has lost significance. 
In a church context, the Lord's Supper table, the Lord's table, has lost some significance with people. For some, it has simply become a rote thing that we do, and if we got to do it in a certain way so that I can feel like I've actually done it. And it's become a rote mentality. The thing is, the table of the Lord is a whole lot more important than something that we just do. It's not a checklist. It is an invitation. And it is a welcome. And it's a time whenever we get to commune with our Lord and we get to commune with one another. The table is significant. So last week we had our Mission Sunday, so we took a break from our series, but we are continuing in our series around the Lord's Supper called Come to the Table. And in previous sermons, I've dealt with the Old Testament heritage to, the, to what we do now in the Lord's Supper. I've dealt with several other things there. Uh, today, we're going to transition into the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke specifically, and recognize that God still desires to commune, to share a table with his people. We saw that in the Old Testament. We're going to see it now. And in fact, what we see that God in Jesus he literally sits at the table with his people. Whereas in the Old Testament, it felt a little bit more figurative of what is his presence, what does that mean, what does that look like? In the Gospels account, it is no doubt Jesus put his feet under the tables of these people. And, and that plays a huge role in the storyline of Jesus. In fact, Luke and Acts, so the author Luke, he wrote both Luke and Acts, in his two books, in about one-fifth of all the sentences of those two books, meals play a conspicuous role. That's a lot, by the way. That meals are somehow working into a lot of Luke's uh, uh, explaining of Jesus and his ministry. I think that's important because a lot of Jesus' ministry happened at the table. And I believe that all of these table stories actually point to the understanding of the continued table story that we participate in on every Sunday morning. But some people don't see it that way. Some people don't think that the table stories of Jesus leading up to the Last Supper inform anything in the Last Supper. We're going to walk through the Gospel of Luke all, uh, many of the times that he is at the table. In fact, most all of the times that he's at the table this morning, uh, and prior to the Last Supper, to see what I believe is a connection to help us inform the Last Supper and then the Lord's Supper. All right, so we're going to walk through the book of Luke is, is where I'm going because he's the one that really tells a lot of these stories. So the first, um, the first time that we have Jesus at a table is in Luke 5, 27 through 32. It says this, Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home. Here's the meal. With Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. But the Pharisees, this is a common phrase in Scripture, but the Pharisees. And the teachers of the religious law, they complain bitterly, bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Tell us how you really feel. Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. 
I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. All right, so the context around this meal is that Jesus has called a disciple named Levi. Some will call him Matthew. It's the same guy. He's a tax collector, and he calls him, of all people, the tax collectors. I'm trying not to look at Bruce's direction here with that. Those people to be follower. This is such an impactful moment for Levi that he wants everyone to meet Jesus. So what does he do? He throws a banquet and he invites everyone. He invites his fellow tax collectors. He invites the office that uh, works for him and with him. And he invites the people that he knows and says, my life has been changed. I'm leaving this life behind because of this dude, Jesus. However you want to understand this, I want you to put it through the filter. This is evangelistic. Levi is evangelistic in the nature. Whenever he is throwing this banquet, he's bringing the people to him, and Jesus is the guest of honor, you can't help but understand that he's trying to introduce people to Jesus, which is what we should be doing as well. He sees this as an opportunity. Some people don't like it, though. Oh, the Pharisees. Because you're not supposed to eat with scum. No offense. Bruce is not scum. <laughs> I'm going to notice my taxes went up this year. I know. Here's the moment why. <laughs> you're not supposed to eat with sinners, right? I mean, that's a common logic. Jesus views the table as not only a chance to eat with sinners, but to call them to repentance, to call them to him. In other words, the point that I pick up from this story about the table is you don't have to be perfect to eat with Jesus. You do not have to have all your stuff together in order to share a meal with Jesus because he joins you in your state of sinfulness and calls you to something better. All right, that's the first table that Jesus shares. The next table happens in Luke uh, 7, and it's, I call it the inhospitable Pharisee. The reason I call it this is because he's at a home of a Pharisee that's not hospitable. (laughs) Makes sense, right? The reason he's not hospitable, the reason we know that is he doesn't greet Jesus with a kiss. He doesn't wash his feet. He doesn't anoint his head with oil. And the reason we know this is because Jesus points this out a little bit later in the story. He's not offered what is called a common courtesy of their time to offer these things. He's, he is bringing Jesus in for a meal, but he has question about whether he should treat Jesus that nice. Well, the story takes a new significance when a sinful woman, we don't know necessarily who this is, we don't fully know what sin it is, but everyone else in the room did. They knew who it was, and they knew her sin. Everyone knew what was going on. She comes in, she crashes the party, and she offers the very things that this Pharisee has refused to offer. Mainly, she gets to Jesus' feet. Her tears serve as the water. She washes his feet with her hair. Well, washes them with her tears and dries it with her hair. All the things. Jesus lets it happen. Okay, if you were at the meal, this is called an awkward moment. There's just nothing that's really normal about this. And I'm sure it's pretty silent in there going, what? What is Jesus doing? 
Jesus uses this awkward moment to teach. Go figure. To teach about forgiveness. He says this. He told him a story. The Pharisee's name is Simon, by the way, and he says, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to another, but neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Now, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Well, Simon answered, I suppose the one who canceled the larger debt, the one he canceled larger debt. Well, that's right, Jesus said, and he goes on to explain that the reason this woman has come and done this for him is because her many sins have been forgiven. At the table, there is an occasion for forgiveness and reconciliation. But at this table, a contrast is made. Jesus, God himself, welcomes in the sinful woman who has been forgiven and lets her act in a very awkward moment, but is beautiful, lets her serve in that moment, and the Pharisee does not welcome her. Which one might we be? Reconciliation should happen at the Lord's table. So first we see that you don't have to be perfect to eat with Jesus. Second we see forgiveness and reconciliation are offered at the table. You seen how these are tied to the Lord's Supper? All right, let's move on to the third one. Feeding of the 5,000. Boy, you know this story, don't you? I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. There was feeding of 5,000 people. Actually, there was more than 5,000. That was just the, the guys that were counted. It is speculated that if every one of these guys brought a wife, which was probably not the case, but then there were some kids in the crowd. We know that for a fact because it was one kid that brought his lunch. He was the only kid in this whole crowd that was willing to share his lunch with everyone. More so with Jesus, and Jesus made it into everyone. Lots of people here. This story is extremely significant in the book of Luke, though. Not just for the telling of the story and what all happens. It's the tie of the table that is going on. This is the only table story prior to the Last Supper that Jesus actually serves as the host. He's the one in charge. Second huge significant things is that the language is strikingly similar to the covenant in the Last Supper. I'll point that out, but notice this phrase, that he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. That happens Lord's Supper. It happens at least two other places, foreshadowing next week. All right, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven, blessed them, then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so that they could distribute to the people. And there were baskets full left over, and it was a great story. But what is this story telling us about the table of Jesus? Well, Luke gives us a hint both in the verse before the story and the verse after. The verse before, you have, you have a guy, uh, wow, his name just escaped me, a guy by the name of Herod. Chastise me about it later. Herod asked the question, who is this man? The very next verse after the story of the feeding of 5,000, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? This is couched within an identity 
of who Jesus is. The story of the feeding of the 5,000, the table that Jesus shared with 5,000 or more people, is not simply about the coolness of what Jesus can do. It's about addressing the question, who is this guy? Well, the, the table answers that. He's the Messiah. In other words, he's the leader that we should be following. He is the bread of life. There is ties to the understanding of, uh, of manna in the wilderness that all Israelites would be familiar with, that Jesus is providing the manna, the bread, that he has the power to sustain us. If he can take some small lunch, five loaves and two fish, and distribute it among more than 5,000 people, he can sustain us. Lord's Supper? That can sustain. Jesus sustains there's one other piece of that story that is, is crucial for our understanding. Jesus asks those who are closest to him, his disciples, to serve everyone else. In other words, at Jesus' table, people close to Jesus are called to serve others. We're called to serve. That'll be another point that, that you can recognize to the Lord's Supper. All right, fourth meal. At Mary and Martha's house. This meal is in Luke 10, um, and it is contrary to so many social norms of the time. If you notice, um, Jesus goes to the house of Mary and Martha. These are women. I know that may not seem like a big deal for us. Like, well, yeah, go to her house. We call it grandma's house for, you know, growing up. We didn't call it granddad's house. It was grandma's house. You know, that's not a big deal for us. In their time, it was. You did not go to a house of a woman if you were a single male. That was unheard of. Jesus not only goes to the house of this woman, he takes the entourage of the disciples with him. And they go to the house of a woman. That's not the end of the, of the crazy social taboo going on. In this setting, he calls another woman, he describes another woman as a disciple. That language is, sits, at, sits at the feet. That's the language of disciple. And he calls this of Mary. Just a cursory reading of the story reveals that there's an emphasis on the female gender at this table. Now, we may be used to that. And reading it and understanding it uh, and, and seeing that, this was groundbreaking for his time. But to be honest, I think it's kind of groundbreaking for our time. Because we see Martha, if you remember the story, Martha is there in the kitchen. She's preparing the meal. And I can almost see her. Peeks her head out the door. She's, getting, she's working with the dough and the flour and getting just frustrated because she's having to do it all by herself. And she finally, just the frustration builds enough that she opens up the door and peeks in where Jesus is there teaching those around and says, Jesus, Jesus, can you tell my sister to come help? Now, could Martha have just told Mary to come help? You betcha. But, we, you know, with the authority of the teacher, <laughs> now she has to. You remember what Jesus said? Oh, Martha, Martha. You've been con so concerned about these things, but Mary has chose something better. Ouch. That didn't go as planned for Martha. What has Mary chosen that was better? To sit at the feet of Jesus to be a disciple of his, to follow as he is calling. 
This isn't just for the guys in the room. This is for the everybody's, no matter who you are. Have we really picked up this lesson? Or have we regulated women to the metaphorical kitchen of the church and not invited them to the, sit at the feet of the table of Jesus? Maybe we'll have more on that next week as we dive more into what service looks like. But that's a question everyone, a question we need to think on and answer. Because the thing is, everyone is welcome at God's table. Everyone. Fifth meal, Jesus shares. He's again at the home of a Pharisee. This time, the conversation is about internal purity. Um, it's a, he, he's really focusing because he's watching the disciples do, uh, not the disciples, the Pharisees do all these things and being very proud about their ability to look good on the outside. They're cleaning up really well. And so Jesus says this in Luke 11, Then the Lord said to them, You Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness, fools. Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor. You will be clean all over. The whole discussion, it's actually a fairly lengthy discussion around this meal, is about internal purity, not simply having all the external things right. In other words, it's not simply about wearing the suit and tie and the nice dress and being cleaning up so that we can come and our Sunday go meet in clothes. It's about having a Sunday go meet in heart that affects everything about us. At the table, it's not, there's no place for greed and there's no place for pride. This is a table of humility. And that extends uh, into the last meal we're going to talk about this morning. It's a meal considering the place of honor. Again, Jesus, in his Luke 14, he's at the home of a Pharisee. And he's almost just kind of hanging back. You can almost see him just hanging back and watching the things go. Because what's happening is he's watching all of these Pharisees. They're vying and the jockeying for the best seat in the house. They want the place of honor. And so Jesus gives them a recommendation for table etiquette. He says this, you know what, when you come to a party, when you come to a, uh, you know, a table, sit at the lowliest seat. That way when the host comes and sees you there and he says, friend, why are you sitting there? He moves you up, you're honored. He's kind of speaking their language, but what he's showing them is that it's, more, it's not just about etiquette. This isn't just a recommendation of etiquette. This is a recommendation of humility. See, the table should be a place of humility, not pride. The Pharisees thought, man, the table is a place for those who are righteous, for those who have their stuff put together, for those who are clean on the outside, who everyone recognizes, oh, man, these are the best. These are the best people. They're at the head of the table. We've kind of lost a lot of that head of table uh, mentality in how we set our tables now. Even, even here, I mean, we have a circled table, and I think that's fantastic. Theological implications of that are great. But I remember growing up, when we went to my grandma's house, granddad had a chair. We had a, one of those long tables, right? And there was a head, and it was a clear head. My dad would always tell me that he gets the foot of the table, and he told me reasons why, um, which is why I have the foot of the table now in our family. I, I followed in his footsteps. 
But the thing is, we've gotten away from that. Their time, they hadn't. There was a place of honor. There was a head of the table. That was the host. And then right beside them, left and right, these are the main positions. And it works out lower and lower and lower as you go. Jesus says, hey, we're not jockeying for positions at my table. This is a table that everyone is welcome. In fact, Jesus will go on to tell a story in this table about how to invite people. He says, when you throw a banquet, do not invite the people who can invite you back. Don't invite the wealthy and affluent people. He says, go and find the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. I don't know if you've been around the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Um, I've had, we don't necessarily call them that anymore, but I've had multiple occasions uh, to share a table with what we now in our society call special friends. I have to say, what Jesus is really describing here is a party. Those are some of the best tables I've shared. They are, you never know what you're going to get, <laughs> but you do know that it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. It might get a little awkward, but there's some amazing things that happened in a table shared with the poor, the lame, the blind, the crippled. Jesus is saying, look, humility is the stance, but we need to recognize that everyone is welcome at my table. In fact, these are, these are the meals building up to the Last Supper. These are the meals that Luke is trying to help us inform what it means whenever Jesus sits at the Last Supper. And I believe every one of these meals is meant to be a picture of the kingdom of God and what it looks like on this earth. When Jesus shares a table, both then and and now, there are pictures of the kingdom of God at work, or at least there should be. It is quite something to sit at the table with Jesus. And here's the thing, we have the opportunity to do this, to eat with Jesus at our communion time. For, for most of us, for our church culture, it's every week. For some of us, we do it more than once a week. The thing is, every time we share this meal, we are seeing bits of the kingdom of God at work, Jesus at his table. And what we can learn of Jesus at his table is that there is redemption and acceptance. There's forgiveness of sins and repentance happening at the table. Jesus is inclusive to everybody, the poor, the lame, the blind, the crippled, but also the males and the females, the slaves and the free, the poor and the rich, everyone is welcome. But this table is not simply just saying it's come for a meal. It's come, they are coming because every time Jesus eats with people, he gives them a vision of the way the world will be. One day. One day we will all share at his table forever. Every meal and I'm going to be honest, I think your schedule is going to allow you to be at his meal. I'm thinking your priorities are going to be in check because you're not going to want to miss a meal at his table. You're going to want to gather with him. And one day that's coming. In the meantime, Jesus is saying, hey, look, my table still stands. And this is a vision of the table that we will share together. 
This is a place and a time where you can see a piece of what I've been doing in my life through my death and resurrection so that you can see that this isn't all there is. There is something more to bring a little heaven to earth. See, the table invites everybody. Everybody's welcome. The question is, are you going to accept the invitation? Or are you still going to be willing to just go through motions when it comes to worshiping God? It's just going to go through what the Jesus said of the Pharisees, cleaning the outside of the cup, making sure that the outside looks good, and not ever let it touch your heart. Are you going to refuse fellowship to anyone because, well, you think, hey, they don't have their act put together. Or they're the wrong whatever. Jesus says, look, my invitation is for all. And this is kind of the basis that we base our invitation at the end of the sermon about, is saying this is an invitation for all. It doesn't matter what you've done, God's grace can cover. It doesn't matter who you are, God welcomes you. And sometimes we as a church family, we mess this up and we ask for your forgiveness collectively. But if you have something on your heart, if you've got some needs that you need to share, then this table is open. And this time is a time of sharing. So this morning, if you need prayers, if you need love, whatever you might need this morning, would you let it be known? Would you come as we stand and as we sing together? When 